0: Before we jump into this week's episode, I need to let you know that you may find parts of my story triggering or hard to hear. I believe we see parts of ourselves in everyone else's story, and it is, this is the very reason I am getting super vulnerable with you today. While I'm in love with the life I currently lead, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. In fact, I credit a lot of my past trauma and turmoil to the person I am today. Without these challenges and setbacks, I simply wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity for growth and healing. I'm sharing my story in hopes that you will find some kind of hope and inspiration at the end of your tunnel for yourself if you are feeling stuck right now, if you are feeling hopeless, if you are feeling the deep, dark, foggy cloud above your head. I hear you. I get you. I am here for you. Please reach out if you would like to chat. You never know who might be listening. So if one person does find value in this, then I've done my job. But it is also my wish for my friends and family to give this episode a miss. I share a lot and while I've chosen to be vulnerable in this public setting, it does sound silly, but I would rather my nearest and dearest not to listen to this one. It is my wish, so I hope you can respect that one. So if this is you, I would greatly appreciate you pressing stop right now. Thank you. Let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Haley Morecambe Podcast. I am so excited you're here for showing up for yourself, your self love, and self care. Each week, I gift you the permission and the space to claim the most happy, healthy, abundant life and give you access to the most sparkliest version of you. On this journey together, we'll learn and grow and thrive to be the best version of ourselves. We don't settle for anything less than incredible. I'm your host Haley, a fitness and nutrition coach, writer, former radio host and journalist, advocate for self love and self care, and all round wellness guru. I'm a mama to the most divine little girl and a fur parent to a cheeky little Cavoodle. I am so pumped to take you into another magical episode. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to another episode. I have re-recorded this intro, maybe this is the fifth time, and that just goes to show you that I'm feeling a little bit muddled and a little bit anxious. Um, and a little bit off my game right now. And like always, I'm always super vulnerable with you and super real. So uh, when you flick on an episode of any podcast you listen to, just know that's not always their first take. I usually do only one take, but today um, it's, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit nervous because I'm going super, super personal. And I'm not just sharing my story just to talk about myself. I already feel a bit funny just talking about my story and sharing that, but I'm doing it in hopes that maybe you see yourself inside my story, uh, you see the vulnerability inside my story, you see the the turmoil and the, the challenges inside my story that maybe you can see light at the end of the tunnel if you're going through that right now um, because I've come a long way and there's been a lot of healing and I feel really good where I'm at today, but it hasn't always been the case, and I don't really share my personal story very often. And like you would have heard that warning at the start, I uh, this isn't for everyone. I, I wish for my friends and family not to listen to this for a very personal reason. Um, a, they may have already they already know my story anyway. But um, yeah, I just it, I'm using this public setting for someone who may not know um, the background and where I have been today. Um, because sometimes we can put on a really shiny version of ourself online, but it's not until you get deeper and know someone on a more personal level that you know their story and you know how far they've come and what they've actually had to go through and the hurdles they've had to jump over and the challenges they've had to face and all of that kind of stuff. So when I was mapping this out I actually made a list of words or key things that literally just popped into my head. Like they just popped straight into my head of the things that I wanted to express, the parts of me I wanted to share. And I'm just going to read them out. They're very raw. It's very vulnerable. Um, it, well, vulnerable is actually the first word, but it's very, um, it was just like a bit of a brain dump onto a piece of paper. So to wrap up in the parts of the story that I will be sharing with you, it is about Vulnerability going through a divorce when I was young, depression, anxiety. So sharing my mental health, going through adversity, self-sabotage, disordered eating, isolation, relationships, breakdowns, breakthroughs, growth, healing, and strength. So that just came to mind when I just got out a piece of paper and pen before before I actually started mapping out my story. Um, and I've made notes to help and remind myself along the way. Um, so yeah, I really just wanted to say that before we get into the story because I just wanted to share more. And I already feel a little bit emotional. I was sitting down listening to some music which I've got on in the background because there's a lawnmower going, I'm trying to drown out some some background noise. Um, but I actually got a little bit emotional and I thought, I think I might get emotional talking about this because it's actually very cathartic also sharing this space as well. It's another healing process for me. It's another way of, um, you know, finding more clarity and and really learning from my past. So here I am um, and here you are. If you're still listening and it is for you, um, if you're a friend and family, maybe you're not listening anymore, Um, but if you are tuning in and wanting to hear, hear, Another person's story, um, then here we are. So, I grew up in a town called Heathcote, which is a very small country town inside regional Victoria. And well, I was originally born in Melbourne, then I moved to Heathcote when I was a couple of years old. Uh, My mum and dad uh, built our house in. in Heathcote, right next to our grandparents' house, which was super special. And we didn't realize how special it was until very many years later, when we look back on it and think how how wonderful it was to be able to live on a big block of land uh, next to our grandparents. So it was my dad's mum and dad. So that was always a dream of his. He, he spent many years in Melbourne uh, working in um, in the in, in banking actually. And he had a desire and a dream to move out to the country and live the country life. And that's what he did. He met Mum, and they got married and they moved out to Heathgate and they had um, us three girls. So I'm one of three girls. I have an older sister. I am the middle and my younger sister. We're all two years apart. So as I recall this, I'm 34 years old. Um, so yeah, we actually le- we actually led a very cool life. Like, um, we didn't really spend much time inside on the TV. We were out inside watching a TV or on a computer or screens or anything. It's actually funny. My daughter said, um, a couple of days ago, she was sitting in the back of the car with my phone. Cause she's having a bit of a meltdown. She said, mom, did you used to play with a phone when you were my age? And I said, no, sweetie, we, I did not have a phone when I was your age. And it made me reflect even more and thought far out. Like, you know, um, our generations, you know, we just, Growing and evolving, um, you know. Not there's nothing wrong with it. It just just is what it is in this world, in this day and age. Um, but yeah, we we didn't have screens. We were outside just from the moment the sun rose in the morning. We'd get up, put our gumboots on, and we would just run around, run a mark, play cubby houses. Um, we would just be go go go, so active from you know the, until the sun went down at night. And our parents would call us in, um, and we could be right down the back of the gully, as we called it. Um, you know playing in a tree or playing in a creek or throwing rocks or whatever we were doing we were playing with our toys but we would take our barbies and things outside in the dirt (laughs) like there's not a lot of kids that do that these days that we were just we were just all for nature being outside um and it's very funny as children you're naturally led um to nature. Uh, we, we get so many distractions these days, but yeah, it just felt so good. And we were so intuitive. Like we just knew when we got up, we're like, we just want to be outside. Even if it was just jumping on the trampoline, we should jump on the trampoline until the sun went down. Um, you know, we very much didn't have that living for food mentality. Like we did, we would have to get called in to eat. Um, and we would get very hungry by the time we got back inside. Cause we'd just been running around. Um, but you know, we get so hung up on food these days. And I look back at my childhood and thought like we just ate for fuel. Really, um, we there was we didn't have a lot of chocolate in the house. We didn't have a lot of sugar. We just a, a mum would bake a lot, so we would have some you know beautiful yummy treat They had sugar in them. But um, you know, like she would bake some treats, and we would have very stock standard meals like. One of my favorite meals I think of was a meatloaf with this um, barbecue sauce, self-sourcing, whatever it was, um, dad used to make. It was his specialty. We've still got that recipe in the family now. It was so delicious. It was one of our favorites, but we would very much sit down to very basic meals, like whether that was steak and some steamed vegetables and some potato mash on the side, whether it was a sausage night. um, Deviled sausages was another one of my dad's favorites. Mum wasn't particularly the cook. She was more of a... A baker but dad was a pretty good cook um so yeah we 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 would Every now and again when dad would go to the supermarket or he'd do his fortnightly shop in Bendigo um he would get like some some chocolate snacks um and we would all sit down and actually really we would all share it like we'd all just sit down as a family and share it um i keep referring to dad at the moment i'm just realizing this i don't have a lot of memories when my mum and dad were together so when i'm even just mentioning the food just them i'm already forecasting a few years ahead um, and there's a lo- there's gonna be a lot of breakthroughs, even just retelling my story. But those when I was just mentioning dad, that's very much from when my parents divorced and we ended up living with dad. They were the memories that I have. I don't have a lot of memories. I remember mum baking a lot, um, and I remember just being outside a lot. And mum and dad had a very, I guess you say traditional marriage. Um I don't recall and because maybe it was so long ago, I don't recall a lot of affection. Um, I don't I remember being, being exposed to a lot of affection between those two. I remember mum sitting on dad's knee on the couch, like, a handful of times like i do remember that but it wasn't a real really loving and respectful relationship between the two i remember them just doing life like dad would go out working mum would stay home and look after us um, and then dad would get home from work we would jump all over him we'd have dinner that watch TV and would go to bed like we were very much in that whole routine of always waiting for dad to come home because he was he was the breadwinner mum was mum stayed at home um she you know birth three three daughters um and then yeah she was very much the the home um she was the stay-at-home mum for many many years until she decided to step back into the workforce when we were gosh we would have been I think my older sister christy she would have been in school by then I was in high school I'm pretty sure oh gosh so these are the things that i don't even remember um because i you know there's a lot that i have I've still um to find clarity on I think there's a lot that i blocked out but Um, So I remember in my early, early days when... So we didn't go to um, a... Uh, daycare, so to speak. Mum always looked after us, but we did go to kinder. And I remember dropping off, mum dropping me off for kinder, and I had attachment issues. I remember screaming, like screaming for mum. Like I just pined for her so much. I was like, no, I don't want her to drop me off. Like I just remember screaming and getting so upset, and mum just having to force me over to the carers at kinder. And then, you know, she would be on her way. And I remember just crying for ages. Like I I took a long time to settle. And that actually went through into my primary school years as well. I still remember mum dropping me off and I'm screaming for her. I'm pining for her I'm like yelling and just being so sobbing upset and just wanting to see her and I remember even on our breaks like but it still you know we'd get to our first morning break at school and would everyone would run out to go play and I would run to the car park because I'm like is mum still here like can I still see my mum? and I'd be always looking over the fence to see if I could see my mum. like I just remember I was the kid that was very attached to my mum um and i remember that being more so me than with my sisters my younger sister and my older sister i remember me being the most um attached to mum um and i always had to be around her and i always had to be by her side and i always just had to be there so I, those first those early years in schooling um was yeah very much i remember just missing mum like i just wanted to be around her and i just wanted to, her to be there um so when um Oh and I should preface by saying that my mum before she met my dad um in her very early Ten, well, mid-teens, it's um, 16 and 17. She lost both of her parents inside one year, both to different illnesses and cancers. Um, she lost both of her parents really young. So back then, it was very much like grief was not a thing that you went to a counselor and spoke about. You didn't deal with grief. It was like you just pushed it to the down. Like you just pushed it away. You pushed it down. It was She, was, she always says she was in fight or flight mode anytime we ask about her parents. She's not that open about it. She's still very, it's very much a, time in her life. She doesn't really talk about it. So she, she was, she always just says I was in fight or flight mode. So she just went into fight or flight mode and her friend at the time, her mum adopted her and she lived with her still best friend now. Um, so, um, yeah, they've obviously kept in contact over the years and they're actually a, um, family. Um, they're part of our family, but yeah, so she, her mum adopted her and then she stayed in that family. Um, Household until she was old enough to move out, and then yeah, um, a couple of years later, very early on, she met Dad in Melbourne. Um, so Dad was in Melbourne, and then they moved out to Heathcote, and then they they built the house, and then they had us. Oh, sorry, they already had us, but then they grew, uh, they um, they brought us up there. So I know I've just kind of chopped and changed a little bit there, but I just really wanted to kind of build you a little bit of a story of my my upbringing and the in the early years particularly. So that's my memory of mum and dad, um, of, you know, their relationship and our family unit. And we very much loved it. Like we loved the country life. We did our schooling close by locally. um, And it wasn't until high school that we had to jump on a bus and do a lot of travel. Um, And it was around this time that mum and dad weren't good in their relationship. I remember lots of fighting. I remember lots of late night arguing and... My sisters and I would end up in our bedroom each. We would be sitting in our bedroom just listening to it out in the in the lounge room. And I just remember them just saying really nasty things um, to each other. And it was things that I would never repeat now. And I don't even think I have fully expressed to my parents the things that I do remember. And I don't even talk about it to my sisters of what they remember any, either. But I just remember a lot of yelling. And there was a lot of like, it was just there was a lot of, um, fractured, um, parts of their relationship that, uh, was never going to heal and they were never going to get over. Um, and that happened for a really long time. I remember them, um, threatening to break up, uh, for many years, uh, for a really long time until one day it actually happened and it still wasn't, you know, it didn't really sink in for us kids. We we're like, oh yeah, mum's just, you know, gone away again. Um, but yeah, one day she actually did it and she got in the car and it was decided that we would stay with dad. Um, so back then that wasn't a thing. You didn't really stay with your dad. You would go with your mom. Um, but for us, we stayed with dad. Um, we stayed with dad in the house that, that they built and we continued school. We continued everything there. Where I think it was just settled that we had a very you know um established life what we were doing and mum was going to to leave um which was really hard for my friends to take. I remember telling them they're like what? Like you're living with your dad? Like that's don't you usually go and live with mum because divorce wasn't a, real, a thing that back then. It wasn't really that pop I shouldn't say popular, but it wasn't really the norm back then of divorce. And it was even less normal to be with your dad. Um, Now I'm sure there's conversations that were had between the two of them that didn't get passed on to us. And we never know of the ins and outs and why we were left with dad, but we were, that was the reality of it. We, we, um, we were with dad and he, he very much just stepped into the parental role. Now we saw mum on every second weekend. So going from seeing mum every single day uh to then every single week uh, every second weekend I was around 12 um was really hard I remember just going back to those days and if you if you look right back to those kinder days I was telling you that really was that uh, at that that attachment I had with mum very early on that I still have you know to this day I still have issues around that um uh, around just being you know um just wanting to her to be there um And yeah, so she left, we only got to see her every second weekend. And dad went into a very, very deep, dark place with his mental health. And I think that's when we were really exposed to mental health back then. So I was only 12, very young. Um, And also it was the very first parts of our own mental health that we were dealing with as well. It was a grief it was a grief for no family network, uh, family unit. It was grief for not seeing our mum every day. It was grief for seeing our dad in so much pain. Um, My dad still to this day has not really moved on he's never had a girlfriend where Mum was very content I think she was very sad for a long time but she was very content and knew that that was the decision that she needed to make was to leave um where you know and Mum's very independent she's a very fierce female she stood on her own two feet very quickly I think that was going back from her her teenage years of being in that fight or flight mode so she was very much conditioned to that um where dad was just heartbroken and we were too, we were very heartbroken. Um, and yeah, we watched dad be, you know, the saddest we've ever seen him, like in a very, very sad state. And, you know, our compassionate, my, my sisters and I are very compassionate. We're very understanding. We're very, we can pick up on other people's vibe and energy just from walking into a room. we We can read people's energy very, very quickly. And I think very early on, we could read dad was not doing well. And we, as much as he did a fabulous job, you know, Taking care of us and making sure we went to school and doing everything that all of a sudden you know mum wasn't doing anymore. He did a fabulous job, but we pitched in a lot. We washed and cleaned and ironed and cooked and all of the household duties were then up to us. Um, you know we were girl, we were females, so that was I think in Dad's eyes that was part of our role in society as well was to step up and 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 to help out around the house. So. It was very early on that we found our independence, so to speak, because, you know, dad did such a wonderful job, but there's only so much that a male can do and a dad, a father figure can do especially raising females as well my first period was was at home with dad like it and I remember him taking us to the supermarket cuz this is one of one of three girls we were going through puberty it was just a really really vulnerable stage for us and this is why divorce hit me really hard my mental health um really took a hit back then um and I wouldn't have realized it till years later how much of an impact it was going to have on my relationships going to have on my mental health and leading to depression and anxiety and all of those things that I'll get into but yeah I remember dad taking us to the supermarket and just being like get what you need get what you need and we'd go and get pads and tampons and put them in the trolley and he would just look the other way because he knew that we needed them he didn't know anything about it he didn't know anything really about women's hygiene and you know puberty and things like that he just knew that we needed them and he took us to the supermarket we would get it we'd put it in the trolley and then we would have to also touch it to put it on the conveyor belt because he wouldn't touch them as well so we'd get to the, the register and we'd pick up our sanitary items and would pop them on the conveyor belt. Um, And they were very much my memories of, you know, my early teenage years where it, it was very much a survival mode for us. There wasn't that nurturing there wasn't that family, you know, network that, you know, a lot of families had. I would envy, I'd go to a friend's house and I'd envy that they had a mum and dad in the same house. Like, I know, I, and I don't, I, this part of my story, I don't want to compare and say, but I did have it well because, you know, someone else lost their parents. Like, this is not, this is not a story of comparison. This is just my story and the way that I see it. Um, So Yeah. And and I would go to parents, people's, my friends' houses, and I'd be so envious of them to seeing this, you know, this network, this family network that I was just pining for and I was grieving for. And I didn't realize the, the grief and the turmoil it was causing inside my body. And these belief systems that I was creating around relationships, around love, around marriage, around what that looks like for successful marriage. Like I looking back on it i was like i'm never getting married i'm never having children because look what it leads to these were and i will get to this later on as well like belief systems how they create they they change us as adults they create turmoil they create self sabotage they create emotional baggage that we hold for years they create so much in our adult life that we don't realize that is all these things that are happening and they're little traumas all these little things they're actually little traumas that are going through our life that we need to deal with in order to have those successful relationships career life emotional um you know stability and things like that and it's only many years later i i discovered that um, but yeah, at this time, I was a sad little girl. My sister's, um, my, my younger sister, Jade, particularly is very compassionate. She is more, the most compassionate out of us three girls. And she was, you know, she was just trying to fix things. She was a, she's a fixer. So she was always trying to fix things and get mum and dad back together and make dad happy and, you know, make mum happy. And, and it was, she was just the fixer. Um, and it was just looking back on it. We were, we were three sad little girls, you know, five. You know, getting through life and getting up and, you know, getting ourselves ready and getting ourselves off to school and, you know, coming home and doing housework as well as homework. You know, that was just our life. And we very much. Um, we just very much took that on. Um, and that's created us as very, very independent girls today. Um, which it's not a great thing being so independent is also not a great thing. Um, that's something I've also had to work on as well as being able to allow surrender and allow people to come into my life and allow them to help and allow them to play their role. Um, I'm, particularly in relationships, because, you know, I'm just like my mum's. you know, fight or flight mode was always, you know, you stand on your own two feet, you do it and you you've got to you've got to just get through this life. And, you know, you don't need men in your life and things like that. Like these are the things that were just these belief systems that I was starting to believe as the years would go on. And I'll also talk about that as well. Um, so what are we up to? Um, so then jumping forward into schooling, like high schooling, um, back that like dad would drop us off down at the bus stop. We would Um, like, which is about a kilometer from home. We would jump on a bus very early in the morning, catch a 40 minute bus trip into Bendigo, um, to our high school. And these also created, uh, while I was also a very sad, grieving little girl, what happened next in my schooling years did not help that. Um, I was bullied very, very, um, very, uh, I want to say early on, I don't remember it being in my primary school years, but definitely in my high school years, it happened um, very harshly. I remember two girls and I'm, I'm not going to name them. Um, I remember two girls every morning, they would arrive their bus, they also lived in Um, near where I was, they arrived. their bus arrived a little bit earlier than mine. It was always like this gap of 15 minutes. And in that time, they would go and hide from me. They would go and hide knowing that I was about to arrive and they would watch me. And they'd watch me get off the bus. They would be hiding behind a bush somewhere and I knew it. And I'd go and put my bag down and then I'd literally spend my whole morning before school looking for them. And they would be sniggering behind a bush. They'd be sniggering behind a wall. And if they saw me sight them, they would run. So as a girl who was, Already experiencing abandonment issues from my mother leaving, then I was experiencing abandonment issues at school. I, these girls were running away from me. And I'm thinking, well, if these are my friends that are supposed to like me, they're running away from me. The same thing that, you know, my parents, my mom was running away from us. Um, and I'm very conscious of the words that I'm using here, like just in case. Fa- friends and family do listen to this. I'm very conscious of it, but I did, you know, I am putting that warning out there that this is the way I remember it. Um, there is no right or wrong. Your own story is your own story and your your own memory recall is your own memory recall. Um, so yeah, I remember just these girls running away from me. So I already had a lot of self-worth issues as well. So we're already looking at grief. We're looking at trauma. We're looking at abandonment and we're looking at low self-worth. And this is me just in year seven. By the time that this is happened um, and I remember them continually doing it we would be in the same class together and these girls soon as the soon as the bell would go and we'd be on our morning break or lunch break or afternoon break it they would run they would be like quick let's run and hide from Haley and it was just very much a game that they did. And back then, I didn't know to go make new other friends. They were my friends. They were supposed to be my friends. I just thought, okay, they're playing another game. I'm just going to. And then when we were together, it was like I was trying to be accepting into their their little friendship circles, like I was trying to change myself and watch the words that I was saying so they would accept me and they would love me. Again, looking back on that, the person that's loving me, why are they leaving? Um, so yeah, I remember just always just trying to play it cool around them when I was in that that, you know, when they, when they did happen to hang out with me. Um, and then that emotional bully bullying also led to uh, physically bullying as well. I, I distinctly remember one day in the quadrangle at school, these two girls held me down in a mud puddle. It had been raining and they eventually was like, let's get her. And they, it was all very fun and games for them. It was very funny for them. And they would grab me. I remember one holding me down, Um, and the other one kicking mud and, and water all over me. And it would just, I just remember just thinking, oh my God, I feel so helpless. These girls are just bullying me, but they're my friends. So I don't know why my friends are doing this, but they're my friends. So I never, you know, I was upset, but again, the next day they were my friends. So I just went and looked for them to hang out with them again. And I also remember another day, they held me down. And the other one got elastic band and would create little crosses on my legs. Like, you know, when you flick an elastic band and it snaps on your skin and it leaves that red mark, they would make little crosses all over my legs. And I remember going home that day with crosses, red burn crosses all over my legs, because that's what they did. Cause they thought that was funny. Um, and yeah, I, again, I, Kept hanging out with them. I was very upset and I'd go home very sad. So, already feeling sad in my household, I was then going home feeling sad from being bullied at school. So, these are, you know, creating, as you can see, these are very traumatic things that are creating a lot of belief systems that I would have had to deal with in my adult years, still not knowing the impact that it was having. It was just this fight or flight mode, very much like my mom fight or flight, move on, you just get on with it and you move forward. I know bullying happened a lot in school. I've spoken to even in adults, in clients, um, in my health coaching recently, um, that they've ha- they've experienced a similar thing, bullying, um, and we don't realise how much of an impact that has on us now when it's something that happened so, so long ago. So yeah, they, they're very much my memories of high school. I also remember, and this might not sound like anything, but it was a term of bullying as well. They would call me little miss perfect. So I was always the girl that really wanted to do well in school, but I wasn't, I was not doing well. I wasn't the smart kid. I didn't retain information well. I got B's and C's at best. Um, and you know, when I hit, um, when I finished school and we got an enter score, it was atrocious, but I wanted to be a journalist. So that was not weighing up for me. Um, but yeah, in school, I was never the, I I would really struggle. I feel like I had some kind of learning disability. Don't know what that was, or maybe I was just a very average student. Um, and, and again, that could have been from my childhood as well, um, had been very distracted and distraught and, you know, going through trauma and grief that I didn't, wasn't really dealing with. I was not doing well in school but they would always call me little miss perfect because I was always the one that was trying I was always the one that was like so motivated to do well and so determined to do well but I didn't have that that natural learning uh, that, that natural that natural um way of absorbing information and being smart so to speak I guess um I wasn't a naturally smart student <laughs> you know some of the ones that didn't even look at the blackboard once but yet they could ace every exam um or didn't do any study that wasn't me I was trying I just wasn't absorbing the information so yeah they called me little miss perfect because I'd always put up my hand and ask a question and I would always be you know like forward thinking and I'll always be motivated and they started calling me this little miss perfect little miss perfect little miss perfect little miss perfect it was just going over and over and over again and they would laugh at me and point at me and like just this little miss perfect that when I see those little miss books getting around still in my adult years, I cringe. I had this like, whoa, oh my gosh, little miss. I remember, you know, like the little... It, the, well, I don't even know what it is anymore? Whatever they're called. I should look that up. The Little Miss books. Um, and I think there's a little mister or something. I don't know. I really need to look that up. I'm going to make that a note, but I still see, you know, the little cat, the little cartoon characters. Um, it's still like, you know, causes some triggering inside of me when I see it now, but that's a very much painting a picture of my schooling years as well. So um, yeah, fast forward to year 12. Um, mum was, I ended up living with mum cause I wanted to be closer to my schooling to finish my, um, my VCE. So mum, yeah, I, I live with mum again for the first time after not seeing her, um, not living with her since, um, like being really young since when she left our home. Our, our family home um, and that was okay we we got through we very much had to re-establish a relationship again um, she was had another partner so mum had a few partners she was dating and um, that was also very hard to see your mum dating other men and you know going through that as well that that um, yeah that feeling it's a really weird feeling seeing one of your parents date again when you're so used to just seeing them together so we've experienced that over the years we've seen mum dating and going through her own you know her own belief system and their own um, challenges in relationships. Uh, again, from her past, from the way that she, you know, her fight or flight mode um, when she was teenager and things like that, which were, again, we've had a lot of compassion for. There's been a lot that we've had to work through together. Um, but I still remember the day that I got my into school at year 12. And I'd already got my license by then. I remember I was driving around this little green in Hyundai XL. And I remember pulling up and Mum came out and she was about to go to work. I think we found out really early. You know how you get the morning, the text on your phone in the morning. And I remember being out somewhere and I pulled up and I saw mom and she was crossing the road. I still remember it. She was crossing the road because she was walking to work. She lived nearby work. And I pulled over and I said, mom, I got my underscore. And she said, what did you get? And I told her, and it was atrocious. And I remember her looking me in the eye and saying, well, I'm really disappointed. That's really disappointing. How are you going to become a journalist? Because by then I was like, I want to be a journalist. I want to be in the media and I want to get places in life. And I remember saying to her, and I remember looking back in her eye and I'm saying, I remember saying, I don't need university. I will find another pathway and I will get there. You just watch me. I just remember saying that you just watch me. I grieved a little bit for that enter score, but then I very quickly pushed it past me. I knew that wasn't a score to get me into uni, but I didn't care. I was like, that's okay. I'm going to get through another way. That's not the only path. Um, I'll get there. And I did, I actually did get there. Um, so yeah, that's that's also that was also a disappointment. Like I was letting down my my family. I was letting down my parents that I wasn't going to be the student going to university. I wasn't going to be that a you know that A plus student um, and that daughter. Uh, my older sister ended up going to uni, um, and my younger sister didn't. So we very much are very determined and motivated girls, and we got to where we wanted to go. Just in other ways, we saw other opportunities, and again at this backbone that we'd created from what we went through in school um and sorry in our in our childhood um yeah it very much put us in good stead to just to be really determined motivated young women really um So then let's jump into my first relationship, my first ever boyfriend. He was named Jake, which is funny because Pippa's name's Jake, but it wasn't him. Um, And I was naturally drawn to older men because I was already at that stage of like, this is when I'm like, um, so this is before I finished year 12. Um, I was 16 and I met an older boy. I was very drawn to older boys because I was already emotionally mature. And I still find to this day, I'm also drawn to older men. Um, because I feel like I, I was so emotionally mature in myself going through what I did that I was naturally drawn to older men. Um, I don't know if that's because my mum was drawn to my dad who was older. I don't know. I'm just making that connection now. But uh, yeah, I've definitely drawn to older men. And it was like a very big, like my dad was just like, oh my gosh, you're dating an 18 year old. You're only 16. Like my daughter is, you know, getting taken advantage of. So that was a very, you know, hard thing for my dad. Poor thing had three daughters and had to go through his three daughters dating. Um, And well, he still has to go through it with me because my sisters are married with kids. I'm not married. I've never been married um and i yeah i have a daughter but yeah i'm still <laughs> here i am 34 and still dating um Anyway, so yeah, I had my first boyfriend, and a lot of those issues that we're talking about, all those things that I just addressed, um, had started to rear its ugly head. All the self worth, the attachment, the abandonment, the bullying—everything was rearing its head because everything does in a relationship. Because someone becomes very close to you, um, and and ta- and you know you're kind of forced to open up to them, but then you also become dependent on them with a lot of things and A lot of shit comes out. I remember arguing. I remember having a very passionate connection when we first met and I was so, oh, I had the biggest crush on him. It was actually my friend's brother. And I remember having the biggest crush on him because he was this older man. And it was, I found him so attractive. And yeah, all of a sudden, all these insecurities and all these things that I had, oh my goodness, I look back on it now, I just threw those at him. I threw them at him because I wasn't doing any work on myself back then. No self-development, no healing, nothing. Everything that I, you know, I was feeling pretty shit and then I met this boy that made me feel good. I felt amazing. Someone that was loving me, someone that was giving me affection, someone that was there, someone who wanted to hang out with me. I just threw myself on him because it was like, oh, I can just you know, I can, I don't have to worry about it because I can throw it onto someone else, which a lot of, a lot of people still do that without even realizing. So this is a lot of self-reflection now. But yeah, we had a, we had a, a, an amazing relationship. I remember he was my first love, but again, I remember arguing a lot. I remember I wanted, you know, validation from him all the time. I wanted to be around him all the time because he was that thing that was making me feel good and everything else is making me feel shit. So I just wanted to be around him all the time. And that was causing a lot, that's un, unhealthy and not in balance at all. Um, and yeah, that was my first real eye opener of there's things going on here. And I remember having a massive argument with him one day, hanging up the phone and going for a run. Cause I used to turn to exercise and I'd go for a run to feel good. And I'd go for and I left um and I left I don't even think we had mobiles back then. Far out. I can't even remember. Maybe I did. Maybe I had one of those old Nokia 3310s. Um and I remember leaving the phone maybe I left the phone home or just leaving Um, and I remember throwing my jumper up the road because we live kind of out in the bush and I remember going for a run and I threw my jumper to the side of the road and I kept running and I was so upset and I remember being so upset and he was really worried about me because then he couldn't get in contact with me whether I had this mobile or he rang back home I don't recall but then he must have got onto my dad so he told my dad Kaylee's run, she's very upset. So I remember my dad actually tracking me down in the bush when I was going for a run and he drove past this jumper on the side of the road. And I don't know what the message that was conveyed that you know I was in not a very good state mentally. So I don't know what he was expecting that day, but I remember him finding me and telling me to get in the car and driving me back home. Um and just I just remember being so upset and just crying to him, but he didn't understand. Like he he was didn't wasn't he was he was in he was in survival mode himself so he couldn't really take on my emotions but i remember him being concerned enough to get in the car and go and look for me and that was really when my mental health was coming out like all of this that i was going through in that my earlier years that was really starting to rear its ugly head i remember feeling what I know and identify now is depression, a deep, deep depression. Um, but I didn't identify it at the time. I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know what low, low mood was, low self esteem. I didn't know what grief was. I didn't know what trauma was. Like they were all just things that were just coming out now. Um, and I didn't deal with them for a long time. So again, I just kind of pushed it down. Uh, we eventually broke up and it was a very hard time. I did not deal with the breakup very well. He was my first love. Um, uh, my, I started journaling way back then um, when I was very young. And I look back on old journals now, I still kept them at dad's house. And I spoke about him a lot. And I, was, I spoke about my heartache um, and my heartbreak a lot in those journals. And I was a very, very broken, upset, sad girl. Um, and I was going to be for a lot of years before I made any changes, so wow um I'm gonna keep talking up until the point of where I moved to Swan Hill and then I'm going to wrap this episode up here and I'm gonna do it in a couple of part I'm gonna do a couple of part series which I'd already decided before Hanks I knew this was gonna go long, but to keep it under wraps and keep it under control with the time um, I will um. I will keep moving forward, but I'm going to stop it up to the time when I was about 19 and 20. So at this stage, we're going we're forward, we're forward, going to when I finished school um, and I'd had that conversation with mum. So from there, I the only th- I had that conversation with mum about my interscore and I was going to find another way to get to where I wanted to go. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be a TV presenter. I just wanted, and another thing I look back on, I just wanted to be loved. I wanted to be liked and I wanted people to see me. How funny. How funny, right? That's what I wanted. Looking back on that, maybe I was not getting that in my childhood and that's what I was trying to do. I wanted to be in front of a TV screen. I wanted people to see me. I wanted to make a statement. I wanted people to hear my voice. Um, Again, (laughs) hello, young child screaming out for attention, right? Um, So yeah, so from that point, I went and enrolled in a TAFE course, still feeling very lost, but also motivated. Like I always remember having this spark in my belly and I wanted all these dreams and desires and I made vision boards and I'd stick up like celebrities and TV and people I looked up to in the TV industry and, pe- and journalists and all these people, like I'd stick them on my vision board. I'm like, I'm going to be that one day. I'm going to be that person. I'm going to feel that per- way. I'm going to hold myself in that manner. I'm going to have that, that profile. Um, and I, yeah, so this is what I teach now. It's so funny. Journaling and vision boarding. It's still, it's still, gets you results. Um, So yeah, I would be doing that a lot. And I enrolled in this TAFE course. I went very young. I went and lived with my auntie in Melbourne. I did this broadcasting television and radio course that many people enrolled into. You had to have an interview process to get in. I happened to get in because I was like, I'm not getting into uni. I have to get into TAFE and I've got to find a new way to get to this goal. So I went to do TAFE and then halfway through this TAFE course, I remember getting offered this job in Swan Hill and I'd never even heard of Swan Hill before. And I'm a, by this stage, I'm a 19 year old girl who has, you know, who's just starting to see the world outside of home. And I remember the I remember applying for this cadetship. Um, and, you know, I don't even think cadetships are in, in existence anymore, but it was for a tri-weekly newspaper. So, you know, it, it got it, um, distributed three times a week. And I reached out to the editor. I was doing a lot of cold calling back then. I was like, I just want to get my foot in the door, and that could be through a newspaper. And I, I applied for this cadetship, not thinking anything of it. And it was in Swan Hill, which was four hours from Melbourne, uh, two hours from Bendigo in a very – it's a very – Um, I would probably even call it rural. It's probably classed as regional, but it's very rural. It's very in the middle of nowhere. Um, And I remember the editor ringing me up one day and then I, and I'm like, Whoa, where the hell is this? Where the hell is this place? And um, I looked it up. And then I just remember thinking, this is what I've got to do. It was my intuition, very early on intuition going, this is what I've got to do. I've got to move there. And this is my in. This is this is what I'm wanting. This is what I've put on my vision board. Like this is this is getting presented to me. and But I was so freaking nervous. I was so nervous. I'd never traveled to another town on my own and lived on my own before. Um, so that was going to be one of the most um the most opportunities for growth and giving me strength and independence in my whole entire life that's really what started a new life and a new chapter for me. Um, and amazing things happened in happened in Swan Hill, and I'll go into them into the next episode. A lot of um, a lot of growth mentally, a lot of belief systems, a lot of my disordered eating also started then. Um, a lot of like um, things that I had to overcome. Um, and a but but mainly a lot of growth. Like a lot of my I, I became a woman there. Like I felt like a girl becoming a woman in that town. Um, and it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, I. I look back on it with very fond eyes these days but i just remember how scared i felt how nervous i felt how isolated i felt um but yeah i'm going to wrap this one up here cuz we're we are like Forty-five minutes in, over, um, and I'm going to do another part two-part series. I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover. I know that for a fact when I li- when I release this episode because I'm going to be nervous that my friends and family are going to listen to this, or my mum and dad are going to listen to this. I don't even know if dad can doesn't even know. I don't even think he knows even how to listen to a podcast, but maybe mum, and then maybe her friends. I don't know, um, but this is my story that I'm sharing in hopes that it actually helps and inspires you. Um, to yeah in whatever form that looks like uh if you've enjoyed this part of the story so far please reach out to me because I'm probably going to be feeling all the fears all the vulnerability so please reach out um connect with me in some way um let me know you've listened let me know you're looking forward to part two um and let me know your your learnings and your aha moments so far or what you've taken out of it Um, because maybe I won't even get around to part two. Maybe I'll just back out, but, um, (laughs) please reach out. I'm going to leave it there. And I really do look forward to hopefully seeing you inside the next part, part two. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.